Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. Well, happy Sunday, everyone. Hope everyone's having a cozy weekend heading into hopefully a cozy holiday week. Uh, We're talking about writing today, writing and motherhood and creativity, but really bringing it back to, Megan, I think our experience as writing moms. And this is something we get requested quite a bit. Yeah. And I, you know, we were, when we were talking about this topic, we we're like, well, will this be something that enough people will be interested in? But the thing about writing is like, we all in some way are writers, right? Whether we're like actually trying to pen an essay or a story or just like writing an Instagram caption about our kids or whatever. I feel like in this day and age, we've all in some way become writers and we all learn to write in school. Like it's just that I think it's one of those universal itches that um, communicating through the written word is something that is like really universal. So just to be clear, we're not necessarily talking about becoming a novelist because neither you or I, spoiler alert, are novelists. Um, But there's just so many ways to be a writer and to live like a writerly life. And it can be very small and it can be, you know, it can be on a much bigger scale. So we're going to dig into all that today. Yeah. And I think another thing that happens, maybe not to everybody, but to a lot of people is the experience of motherhood is so like ground shifting for a lot of people. And I mean that emotionally, uh, emotionally and psychologically, but also sometimes in terms of the work that you're doing, some people take a break from the traditional workforce or, or cut back hours or change jobs. And I think the, the mental space and the creative space sometimes opens up and we're not sure what to do with it. So I, I know a lot of moms who didn't identify as quote unquote writers before motherhood, but something about the like really transformative experience of becoming a mom and parenting has made them want to write. And then it's like, 
then that's when we get the emails from people being like, should I start a blog? Like, what do I do with this? What do I do with this desire to kind of put my experience into words and use those words to connect with other people? That I think happens to far more moms than just those who go on to be a quote unquote professional writer. Totally agree with that. And you know, the transformative period of motherhood, I, I was a big time writer when I was younger. I wrote lots of stories. I wrote poems. I wrote essays when I was, you know, like a kid and then didn't for a little while. And then when I became a mom, it was like, wow, I have a lot to say. Like yes. it just, it was like the, the floodgates really opened and I, I really wanted to connect with other moms. For one thing, I wanted to share what, what was happening to me. And then, you know, that just for me happened to coincide with this beautiful new thing back then called the internet, which I have to say, like, really was like so changed, like life changing for me. And if most of us, you know, you listening are younger moms. And so for you, it's just always been kind of something that's been there. But like, there was a time when you couldn't just start a blog where you didn't just have a way to connect with all these people. And it's really revolutionary. Like it's, you're very lucky to be living in this time. I think as a mom, it comes with a lot of hard stuff too. And we, you know, we talk about that all the time, but that ability to, to connect with people who are going through the same thing, um, yes. or who are, have very different backgrounds and to learn about them and do that through writing, I think is really cool. And a very cool thing about the time that we're in right now. I and I know agree. it's not, it's not cool to say cool anymore, but you know, what? cool is the one word that's actually stayed cool. So I'm going to stick with it. Just bring it back. If it's not cool, bring it just back. bring it back. We're doing it here today. <laughs> you heard it here, people. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, but going back to what you just said of like, holy cow, do I have a lot to say? And um, we have a blog post up this weekend on our blog by our contributor, Stacy, who talks about just that, like this moment of like having a motherhood experience and and being like, I need to write this down. And I don't know quite what I'm going to do with it or, or, or what's next. But I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. And I guess what I hope people come away from this episode knowing is that whether you identify as a writer or not, or just want to put some structure around that ability to communicate, or maybe you have a different creative hobby that would benefit from some intentionality in terms of like, how often do I do this thing? Do I have goals for this thing? Or is it just to feed my soul? So we're going to kind of talk through our writing backgrounds. Um, maybe some, some things we wish we would have done differently or some things we're really proud of back in the day. Um, and through that kind of talk about this idea of having a creative practice that you stick to and stick through and, and really that connects back to the motherhood experience. Cause that's what brought us together, Megan, as writer friends. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot, what brings a lot of our listeners here, but I thought maybe we should start by, for those who don't know, just talking a little bit about our writing backgrounds and I can go first cause my mine's kind of quicker. Um, but I think maybe a lot of listeners don't actually know our, our writing uh, I don't know, our pedigree, our CV, our resume. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a um, a corporate writer before I had kids. So I worked in corporate communications and I loved it. Before that, I was an English major and always fancied myself a writer. I wrote poetry. I was in a university uh, creative writing program for a while and then switched majors and ended up with a lit major. But I was, I was partway through actually a creative writing major. And so I was always a writer. And then I, I did writing in a business setting, which I really loved. And then I had babies and had that exact feeling that you just described, Megan, is like, whoa, I knew I was a writer, but I, I didn't know I'd have so much to say about this. Um, and then I went into several years of personal writing and blogging, sometimes for fun, sometimes for money for other people, and sometimes collaboratively um, doing editing and content management with other writers. 
Um, and then I met you. We're going to talk more a little bit later about the trajectory of of my writing in those years. So I'll stop there. But but I had a professional background in writing before I became a mom. And the rest is more about how I how I figured out to merge the writing professional stuff I'd done with the experience of motherhood. Well, I, I knew that all about you, but it's always good to get a refresher because sometimes I forget that you had this whole you know, life before kids in this like corporate writing environment. So for me, I also fancied myself a writerly type as growing up. I, I wrote a lot of stories. I liked, I really loved when I got a, a chance in high school and in college to write creatively about something. Um, I remember doing like restaurant reviews and movie reviews in a college class and being like, oh my gosh, yes, I could see myself. This, like, this is a life that I, and they were very snarky and funny. And like, yeah. I really saw, thought that that was a thing that I could do forever. And then, um, you know, I became a mom and I started a blog before there were blogs. So it was called young mama. Cause I was young. I was like 20. It was on a GeoCities site. It was purple and it had comic sans font. Amazing. And I would just go in and update it because in those days there was not blog. There wasn't like blogging software. So I would, I just had like an HTML website and I would just go add new posts on top and just space down the, you know, so you would just come and it was just like yeah. one long running um, thing. Like one, it looked like one big article, but several people that I followed back in those days did that. Like you yeah. wouldn't, you like was blogging before there was blogging. And then when I was pregnant with Will, um, I was working outside the home full time and I really just didn't want to return to that life. And I had had a couple, I mean, not that like that life is bad or anything like that, but I had two little kids, um, and a baby on the way. And I was very stressed all the time. And you didn't and love just, your job. And so I didn't that, love by my that job. Life, it was like right. the life of not the life yeah. of the person who doesn't love their job. And is like crying over the steering wheel every day. And I, um, I had gotten, had had a little bit of success placing essays and, you know, a few articles here and there in different publications. And I thought, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to spend this pregnancy like doubling down on this. And I did, I went crazy. I went crazy town. I'd like joined some different message boards and learned about the, the, the profession of writing. Whereas before I'd always just been interested in being a writer, just to be a writer. I thought, well, how does one make money at this? And right. so I learned and actually never did go back to work full time. Like it was, it, I got, I brought in just enough um, scratch that first, like six months I got started to go back very part-time. And then I just slowly over a few years, scaled back, scaled back, scaled back until I took the leap into full-time freelancing. And I did that. Like there was a time where if you had picked up a mainstream, uh, parenting publication, like at, you know, the grocery store or whatever, probably my byline would have been in it. Yeah. I was very published and I wrote a few books and and then I just kind of stopped and we'll get into that. Um, well, I stopped because of podcasting, <laughs> yeah. which is great too. And is another, it's, it's also requires a lot of writing. Like we mm -hmm. actually write a lot in our jobs as podcasters. So, um, that's kind of it in a nutshell, but it's interesting because once we decided we are writers, you don't ever really go away from that, right? Like what, once you lean in and go, Oh, this is what I am. I am a writer. Then you're always a writer, whether or not you're really writing that much, um, at least for an audience. Yep. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. 
There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code themomhour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, we're back and we've given a kind of a brief history of of different ways that we've been professional or amateur writers over the years, but I want to bring it back to kind of the intersection of motherhood and writing and writing about motherhood. And I'm wondering, Megan, if you have a season of life you remember, or maybe even a moment where you really did claim that title of I am a writer and not just I am a writer, but I am a writer who writes about myself and my life and my kids, because those could be two different things. Like I said, I had been a corporate writer and it just felt very different than than the moment I remember when I realized like, oh, no, I'm like I write about motherhood. That's what I do. Yeah. So I had forgotten about this until this very moment, Sarah. Um, So I'm sharing with you perhaps a never before shared memory. It was when Isaac was a little baby. So I was like 22 and he was maybe three months old and Jacob was two. And I found out that you could contribute to this website. I can't even remember what it was called now, but it was like e-reviews or um, it was like a very early review site but you could get paid five bucks if you wrote a review. And then if enough people saw it, you got like 10 bucks. I don't even remember. It was like a review website. And I wrote about a Swiffer, but I made it really funny. And I made it all about my life as a mom and how like you just would see yourself like, like a lady in a Swiffer commercial, like dancing around and like the Swiffer must've been really big back then. And, um, it got like a lot of, I don't know, like in the day what that was, this would have been like 1999. Oh so, or maybe 2000. So it would have been like little, you know, like stars or something. There was no social media yet. And so I got like extra money for it. I got like $10 instead of five. Um, and I remember being like, wait, maybe I'm really good at this. And I had woven in like stuff, like little funny stories about my kids. Yeah. So that was like the moment I think where I thought, 
huh, maybe like people might actually want to read something I have to say about life as like a stay-at-home mom, which that's what I was doing at the time. So, um, yeah, so there, there was that little moment. And then of course I was staying at home and like, I wasn't trying to earn money from it and things like that. Um, and then when I really, when I was back at work and I told you about like where I was at when I was pregnant with Will, yeah. then it was like, starting to get like the bigger version of that, which is like, now I'm not getting five bucks, but I'm getting like 50 bucks. It's not like the money mattered to me. It was like the, um, someone else sort of putting their stamp on it and saying, this is worth reading. We're going to like the pay to me translated into some kind of like approval or validation of what I was doing. And so I feel like that was when I really reframed myself as a writer, but it kind of started, I think it started with that first paid thing, which is, can be a tricky thing. Because writing like your craft or your art and like, you know, the filthy lucre is what they say. <laughs> like like the, the, the payment that can come from it can be very fraught mm-hmm. and it, you don't have to make money from your writing to be a writer. But sometimes having someone else validate you that way, like it almost like speeds up the process. I, so that was, yeah, that little time period was for me. I totally agree. And my story, I think, is so similar. The difference is because I was a corporate writer for a few years, I got to kind of claim this. I got to tell people, what do you do? I'm a writer. Oh, what kind of a writer? Well, I, you know, I work for a company and I, this is, I, I ghost write articles and I, I got to write a lot of cool stuff. I was uh, more than uh, like a marketing copywriter. Not that there's anything, that's also a very cool type of writing, but mine was more like strategic communications and it was really fulfilling. So it's almost like I, I was a little addicted probably to the legitimacy that came with my pre-kids job as a writer, which made it that much harder to reclaim like I am a writer when I started writing personally about my kids and yeah. the motherhood experience. So I didn't for quite a while, I did not feel like a quote unquote real writer. And this is I, I was blogging a little bit. I was blogging for other sites. I had my own blog and I didn't it didn't feel legit. And then I remember so vis- vividly placing an essay in a regional parenting magazine that was it was a decent sized regional. It was the whole state of Arizona, I think, and not just the town. And it felt glossy and it felt legit that had, they had offices downtown and like a real editor in chief. And I placed an essay and I remember getting the check in the mail and it was $50. And I, something about that, exactly what you said, it's, you don't need a paycheck or it doesn't need to be in a print magazine to, to claim that title as a writer. I don't think anybody needs that, but exactly what you said it sort of then gave me the little bit of boost of confidence to just be able to say, okay, well, what am I going to write next? And mm. um, I'll talk later about the class I took with you, but um, that like that having that feather in my cap of a published print magazine piece was for sure the first, um, like the first time it felt like I had earned that title of writer. Like I could say it out loud and I wouldn't be a fraud. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. And like, as those like little, you know, the, the first check you get, um, is the one, like is the mm-hmm. biggest one, because after that, like the checks might grow, but the impact of that first one or that yep. first really legit for you, whatever that is, like yes. maybe for you, it's like placement in a certain kind of publication. I have to share another really quick, funny story, yeah. um, about when I was writing a parenting column for a local paper. And I wrote that for years and years, but I landed that pretty early in my writing career. Like I, I want to say I had a very small, um, collection of published clips as they're called under my belt, but I just sold this newspaper editor in my town, which was, it wasn't a tiny paper and I sold them on a parenting column and I took my check to the bank to cash it. Um, 
And the clerk said, oh, like, oh, you write, you know, or she didn't say you write. She said, oh, um, so you work for the the paper. And I was like, yeah, I kind of got a little bit of an ego, you know, like I had a little like, like, and then she said, well, what's it like delivering papers? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a delivery route. That's not what I but do. Your check was probably the amount of a delivery route. Yes, like, I actually pay a 12 year old. Yes, that's probably, it was probably $45. It's probably about what I got. And so I was like, it was like, I was both so elated and then so deflated, like oh within gosh. about 10 seconds. So that is so funny. Oh, yeah. I love it so much. Um, well, we're talking a little bit about like ego and hangups. So let's just keep going here. I want to know what some of our biggest limitations on those early writing years were. And probably these limitations will be self-imposed as they often are, but you could, it could be things like time and money and like not having enough time to write. Um, but I'm also thinking things like self-doubt, um, you know, procrastination, trouble getting started. I mean, there are so, so many things held us back and, um, I'll go first on this one. But a big one for me was thinking I needed to have the end in mind when I began to write. I would have these deep thoughts and like really beautiful starts to an essay or like I'd have a little slice of life or moment in time I wanted to capture. In today's world, it would be an Instagram post. Honestly, it would be that right. sort of like this just a, a quick flood of words. But then I would immediately get stuck in decision paralysis about where this was going to end up. Should I pitch it out to a bigger a bigger byline, something that's going to like really serve me in my career. Should I try and get paid for it? Because those two things are sometimes two different things. Like the the respectability of the publication versus the paycheck are two different things. Should I put it on my own blog, which I can do right today and just get it up there. But then, then I'm not going to submit it to the Washington Post next week because it's already been published somewhere. And there was all of these, you remember, because I knew you at this time. And this was like, kind of the mental gymnastics you went through, but it would stop me from writing. So that was a, that was a big, um, I guess a hang up. Um, I also just had and have a really deep self-consciousness about my more personal writing. And it tends to be focused on feeling very embarrassed when people I know in real life read my writing. I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I would rather have 2 million people read an essay who I have, who I don't know than like, people I'm close to in my life. It feels so vulnerable to me. And it really did stop me from doing quite a bit of personal writing that probably would have been really good. And I so admire people who kind of push through that or feel it and do it anyway, or maybe they don't feel it. So that was another one. Um, and then the last one, I think we'll talk more about later, but I was often drawn toward more like quote unquote legitimate paid work, which came in the form of editing, content management, the stuff I did for you, the stuff I did for Scottsdale Moms Blog. And it was really fun and fulfilling in a different way. But I, I had only a finite number of hours to write. I mean, I had three little kids, two or three little kids and nap time. And so I do think some of those things, some of those gigs I took on ultimately took time away from writing. And that was just a choice that I made. We'll get into regrets later. But I that that stopped me from being more prolific. So and I'm terrible yeah. at self-promotion. I know we could talk about that too. Well, I don't think that that's uncommon. I'm actually really grateful in a way that when I first started, I didn't have some of those options. Like I didn't have the ability to um, like do too much worrying about where I would place something because in those days, like there wasn't Instagram and I had a blog, you know, pretty early on in my writing career. Well, actually before my writing career. So when it, before I really took off 
um, blogging was already a thing, but I knew nobody was really going to see it. If I had like written a legit publishable essay and put it on my blog, I knew no one was going to see that back then, back in 2003. And there wasn't any place else to put it. So I really didn't have as many options, which I think helped me kind of move past some of that, what you're talking about, like, where do I put it? You know, um, that said, I, I was really coming from more of a percep, like a self-perception issue where Mm -hmm. I really saw myself as kind of flighty. Like that was something I had like flighty and disorganized. And like, I doubted my ability to stick to it. Um, I was very young to be already like judging my, like prejudging myself as someone who couldn't stick to anything. Right. Yeah, but I was I always know. someone I know, but I, but I was, also, I know I feel for her too. Like, gosh, she should have known that like you really, I really could do that. But you know, I was always someone who had a lot of different ideas and I, and a lot of them stunk. Like I had terrible story ideas. I pitched terrible story ideas because I was just like flailing around trying to find a hook that I thought someone would be interested in um, publishing a story on. And when I finally realized it's like the simple stories with a, like a really small twist or like a personal angle that is a little different from someone else's personal angle. Like when you start to realize that really there aren't that many unique ideas in the world and that it's really just the angle or the experience that you bring to your idea, which is the same as like, the idea that a million other people have had, I, it's so freeing. And that I had to like, I had to really work to get to that because there was a lot in those days of me thinking I was going to reinvent the wheel and come up with the most, you know, unique parenting idea. Well, the problem is if it's that unique, no one cares and no one wants to read about it. Like if if it's too out there, there's no audience. And so that was something that I had to kind of dial myself in on. Um, so at first, like I would have ideas, but I couldn't, they were, they were the, they were the wrong ideas. And when I finally just like got over that, I found that ideas were everywhere. When I was able to simplify and say me, you know, um, doing the dishes and there's like, there's an idea there. It's the most obvious thing, but there's something there and like really leaning in on those little snippets and those little moments. Um, and I guess the other thing is, you know, obviously I had a lot of kids and focusing, uh, on something for a long time was very difficult for me at first. I think I just figured out how to make that work. I don't know that I could go back to the brain I had when I had five small children <laughs> under one roof. Like, I don't, I don't know that I could ever recreate that focus, but I did it when, while I had to, like, I was able to make it work. Thank goodness. I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. But it, you know, it was, it, it was like, at first that was a big um, obstacle. Then it became a superpower. Yeah. Now it's just something I've retired because I don't have to do it anymore. Right. But you, but you always know, you will always have the knowledge that you did that with five right. little kids and somehow, yeah. you know, pushed out story after story for magazines. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those years. Actually. Um, I want you to tell me what it felt like when you were truly in the flow of writing about motherhood. So maybe paint me a picture. What were your life circumstances like about how old were your kids? where and when would you physically write like in your house, what times of day and then what types of pieces. And I am talking about the motherhood pieces just seem to flow really freely, like essays or tips or magazine articles or whatever. Yeah. So from the time when Will was a baby, like I said, until Clara was, I don't know, three or four, it felt very natural. And so that was like a good 11 ish year run where I was very prolific. Um, and I felt like every kid I added 
I just got more ideas. So obviously sometimes that would mean I'd have less time or my hands would be tied up, but I, but I never lacked for good publishable ideas after I got past that first kind of mental block that did take some time. Um, I had so much more to say. And I, as far as like the where I have always kind of had this weird, like the sense of place is really important to me. And so I did a lot of, you know, writing in coffee shops and things like that when I was little, just to get out of the house. But when it came to things that were like, um, really creative, like, like essays where I really needed to tap into a very personal side of myself. I almost to this day do that kind of writing in bed. Like Mm -hmm. I almost can't think that way if my feet aren't up, which is, Mm -hmm. it's like become now not a crutch necessarily, but I'm so like, if I think, oh man, I really want to write something very personal. I really just want to sit in my bed and put my feet up. And I almost can't do it if I'm sitting at a desk. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would do more of like the nonfiction writing at my desk, like the stuff that I was writing with like multiple interviews that I was dealing with, because I always felt like if I was sitting up and I had a surface to spread stuff out on that, that I was able to tap into that kind of part of my brain a little bit better. Yep. But either way, I mean, in those days, a nursing baby was a part of it for, for many, many years. Or when I was doing some of that creative writing, a napping toddler in the bed snuggled up next to me. And it really just worked. Like there was this time a good chunk of time where I just felt like my life flowed so naturally. Like I would get up in the morning, I would feed the kids, I would play with them, I would clean up the house, I'd go put my feet up, kids would be sleeping all over my legs. And then I would just yeah. be like happily writing away for two or three hours, knock a whole bunch of creative stuff out. And then I would piece the rest of it kind of together. So I would have, you know, like the things you have to do just to be a professional writer, like respond to emails, come up with pitch ideas. That would yeah. be the stuff I'd be doing sitting erect at my desk Mm -hmm. or like at a coffee shop with like a very different mentality. Um, the kinds of stories I was doing were, you know, again, either those personal blog posts or essays, um, and then the kind of researched articles that typically paid pretty well. So Mm -hmm. I was always kind of fluctuating back and forth between those two, but I did find that the ones that I enjoyed writing the most that seemed to resonate the best and the ones that I had the most success selling were always um, stories that like came out of a personal experience, often had a first person um, intro or like, Mm -hmm. you know, story that kind of weaved through, but then pulled in tips, um, pulled in like more practical tips or even sometimes like more about attitude shifts, mentality shifts, like advice woven in. That kind of became my signature style. And I really got good at that style of writing both for blogging and for publication. And I think that informs kind of the way this podcast has I was come out, right? Like say, I have this huge <laughs> grin on my face. Cause I like you wrote this actual, like these notes in our outline so I can see the words and I'm listening to you. And it is, it is the format of this podcast. I mean, it is yeah. a first person narrative, but that tries to be bigger than just the first person. And now it's we, right. not just I, but that's exactly the format of this show. So I'm just right. smiling. And you, well, and I love that. I mean, I guess I didn't really put the two together until just now, but what I love about that is you never know how, what you're doing now mm, will inform yes. what you do later. And so if right now what you're doing is writing emails, I don't know if anyone emails anymore, writing texts, like writing texts about your baby to your mom in a different state, say, and you're like, and you're, you find that the language that's coming in is really funny. Like mm-hmm. that could inform humor writing down the road that you do for a publication or like, 
or maybe it's more um, earnest and more sentimental. And that also like the way you start things and just play with kind of, you do create your own signature style out of that. And you never know where that might take you. Oh my gosh. I so, I so agree. And I, I just have a lot of compassion for the, the hustling you and the floundering me and like, and all the moms who aren't sure where this writing is going. Cause I'm, I'm seeing a picture of it now. Yours is like 15 years ago and mine's like 10 years ago. So I'll jump in. Um, my, like the years where this was just really clicking and flowing, like you described was not 10 or 11 years for me. It was probably three years. I, I, like to put a label on it, I'm going to say 2001 or 2011, excuse me, to 2014. So I had either two tiny kids or toward the end of that window, I had a third kid. I just had a really full and fulfilling writing life that had a good variety of assignments. It was a mix of personal blogging, sometimes on my own blog, sometimes for you at the happiest home or on Scottsdale mom's blog, but it was all personal blogging. And then I had paid work that included that, that more editing and more like behind the scenes business aspect that I really liked. And it all, where all that kind of came together. And it's funny when, I mean, I had been a mom for like two years It at the start of that period, but I felt like I had advice to give. And it was a very, I think that's something that like my personality enjoys is feeling like I could help somebody by, by sharing advice. And um, so I felt like I had wisdom to share, even though I had been a mom for like two and a half years. And I loved that. And I loved being able to like, isolate a slice of life or like a moment from parenting toddlers and then find the humor or find the larger lesson or find a way to frame it that would be helpful for other moms. And I did that, like I said, in a variety, on a variety of platforms, but that's what felt really natural and good. And like, I was like, I was doing something that mattered, I guess. Um, In terms of the when and where I wrote mostly at nap time during the week, um, often lying on my stomach on the carpet or standing at the counter because I have a history of lower back issues. And what's so funny is I'm a lot older than I was in these years, but I'm, I, my body is taken care of much better because in those days I was always pregnant or hauling babies and toddlers around. So my lower back, which is just like, it's kind of a chronic thing that flares up once in a while, but now it flares up like once a year. And then it was really sensitive because of all the like leaning over car seats and cribs, all of that like unhealthy back stuff that I was doing. So sitting was actually really hard for me. So even though the kids would go down for a nap and I would want to write, sitting in a chair was not the restorative, was not what my back needed. So I would lie on my belly on the living room carpet and sometimes put an ice pack on my lower back or I would stand. I had like a counter height, like a bar counter. If I put my laptop there it was about the height of like a standing desk. And so I have a a mental image, my like fat white MacBook that was like a nice MacBook at the time, but now it would be so clunky and, and like funny looking. Um, and so that's, that's the mental picture in terms of what I really loved at that time, a mix of humor writing and then the opposite, which was like a really sentimental, like poignant essay. And I would swing wildly back and forth between the two, but I truly loved them both. Um, I want to come in on a couple of things. First of all, the, you talking about you, um, you know, being like that mom with like two, one, two year old or whatever, yeah. and being like, I have things to share, but yeah. I think that's the beauty of writing about motherhood, because if you have one six week old baby, uh-huh. you're still six weeks ahead of someone who hasn't yet had their six week old baby. And yep. you are learning things in that moment that you'll probably forget later. It's almost yes. like, when you're in that moment, you are the best expert because our brains get bought. Like I can remember a lot about my kids in aggregate and I can, mm-hmm. you know, like as a, 
as an aggregated, um, what is it, the way, the language I used around that one time that they're like all babies and no baby or yeah. every baby and no baby, yeah. no particular baby. Like they're like that, it softens around the edges. And when you're really in it, that's when you're most able to tap into like what the essence of that, that experience is. So wherever you are, you're still ahead of somebody else and you still are the expert on that point of life that you're in. Um, The other thing I just was thinking about is like the tools that you use and you talking about, you know, your heavy MacBook and like laying on your stomach. I was just remembering the first laptop I ever bought. So this would have been 2002 or three. And I bought it when I was pregnant with Will. So like, yeah, it was 2000, summer of 2003. And I was like broke then. And I spent $300 on a refurbished um, Dell, I believe, or maybe it was a, a Hewlett Packard. I don't remember. It was he- so heavy. Oh my goodness. Like it probably weighed 25 pounds, but it was life-changing. Like having, it didn't yeah. actually weigh 25 pounds, but it was very heavy. <laughs> having that portable thing that I could take to the library, to the coffee shop, like that I could take with me and have this writer life that went with me was like, so not only that I invested in that tool for myself, that was a big investment, like in my yeah. own confidence, but also just that I had the tool to use now for, you know, anyone listening now, the tool would be very different. And there's so many different things it could be, but I don't like, like, don't, don't underestimate the power of having a phone with a really good camera. If that good yes. camera is going to inspire you to write about the picture you took or having you know, you, learning how to use talk to text technology so that yeah. you can get your ideas in some kind of written form while you're nursing a baby and don't have hands free. And then later you can turn it into something like those tools matter. Yeah. Um, and that, that mine was a, my very heavy refurbished laptop that cost 300 bucks. I mean, in, in today's dollars, that would be a lot more. It was a big yeah. deal. It was a big purchase for me, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I've just yeah. wanted to notate that, I guess. I totally agree. And and there's a lot of sentimentality in that white laptop because I think it was the first laptop I've ever I had ever had that wasn't work related or shared with my husband. Not that we we didn't share a lot of computers, but I had never had my own personal laptop like that for and I wasn't working in an office. So it felt like almost indulgent at first and then became exactly the enabling tool. So I love that. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O U R place.com code mom hour. 
We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. All right. So let's look back. You have been a writer, Megan, for at least 20 years, right? Is that right? Well, that was when I wrote, I remembered the site now it was Epinions. Oh, um, Epinions. And I did get my $10 check from them like 22 years ago or something like that. So, Amazing. and like but 18 I would, years, I would, I would say well, I've right? been like a legit, yeah, writer for like 18 years. Okay. By legit in my own head. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And for me, about exactly 10 years since I started um, in this kind of motherhood writing. So looking back on those many decades now, um, let's talk about some of the choices that we're really glad we made. And then if there's anything we would have done differently, and I can go first on this. I am really glad I took your class. And I, I mean that totally honestly. So that was in the summer of 2011. You were teaching a class, an online class about magazine writing for those who haven't heard our origin story a million times. Um, I I had followed you on Twitter and as a blogger, and then it was just all virtual. This is like pre-Zoom, like pre-everything being virtual. But I um I was in exactly that phase I talked about where I had placed an I had placed a magazine article, I had gotten a paycheck, I was working for Scottsdale Mom's blog, and I just didn't know how it all fit together and what kind of writing I wanted to do. And I'm so glad that I took that class because it, it ticked so many boxes. It was like, it felt legitimate. It taught me a lot of actual, like very practical things about the industry. And it made me some writerly friends, some internet friends that we're still all connected to, to this day. So that was a great choice. Good job. 2011, Sarah and 2011, <laughs> Megan for offering that related to that. I'm really glad that back in those days, I learned a little bit about how the professional world of traditional media and magazine writing works. And what's funny is magazines were kind of dying like at that time. And so the world was changing. And I even remember you instructing us in this class of like, well, here's how we used to pitch and here's how it's kind of going now. And it turns out like HuffPost parents is actually like the place to be. It's not necessarily a parenting magazine. And we were right in the middle of all that change, yeah. but I'm still really glad that I learned the the professional ins and outs of pitching and communicating, like emailing with editors. Um, I, that has served me throughout the years more than you know, probably. And what's funny is it I, I never really entered into that true magazine writing world, but I'm so glad. And when we get pitches all the time and we communicate with people in the media, like I still just, I'm so glad I took a little crash course in how all that worked. So that was a good yeah. choice. 
I'm really glad that I got on Twitter because Twitter was a space at that time where, where there was a lot of connection happening between writers and funny people. And it was there that I saw an open call for contributors, unpaid contributors at the very small at the time Scottsdale mom's blog and just took that leap. So I don't know how to translate to that to something that is today, except that it took me like listening to that little voice of like, okay, maybe, maybe I could do this. Um, and then in terms of like regrets or something I wish had maybe gone differently, I think when I started to place, have some, some really good bylines, like I wrote for the Washington post a couple of times, their online parenting space. And I had several Huff post pieces and I wish I had increased the volume for a couple of years because, and here's why when you place one big essay, like and then nothing happens for six months. You can get really in your head. Maybe it's like the second novel syndrome that writer mm. <laughs> that writers go through. I wasn't doing enough volume to build up a thicker skin for the pieces that landed well and the pieces that didn't. And like, I think when you're when you're writing a lot, you don't have time to overanalyze like how good you think something was or, you know, not that many people shared it or whatever. And I just I had this sort of slow pace about me. I was slow to write. I was slow to pitch and slow to get accepted. And I was doing these other jobs at the time, the, the editing jobs, and I had three little kids. And so I, I do wish that I had like almost intensified the, the volume of pieces I was placing, at least for a short time, because I think it would have been good for my confidence. Yeah. Um, like everything you just said, it, it's so relatable. I think for me, that momentum that you're talking about, it really takes on a life of its own. And for me, what that looked like in the days before sharing was even a thing. Like you didn't know if anyone liked your story, really. You just, some, your editor bought it and you got a check and it showed up in a magazine. Right. But like, um, I found that when I really got serious about getting lots of things out there, I cared so much less about what happened with any one of those things. Yeah. It became just very standard. Like editor can't take it. Okay. I don't have time to be offended, hurt, you know, dejected about that. I'm just going to take this thing I already wrote maybe rework it a little bit, send it someplace else. And I did have so much going on that I didn't have time, but like, it is very easy to get stuck in that place. And, you know, I talked to Christine Coe, um, for, I believe it was for the mother of reinvention podcast. So like back in the spring when she had really started getting like all these years, she was a writer. She knew she had the chops, but never really went all out to like yeah. try to get her byline out there. And just decided last, like this year, she was just like, that's what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to be really intentional about that. And now she's published everywhere. It really does take, like an editor will see your story yeah. somewhere, or maybe it works a little bit differently. It's like a blog post and someone sees it or whatever, wherever, it, the, whatever milieu you're in. Um, once you've been published, like she was in the Boston Globe, it's that much easier to get published in the Boston Globe again. And the next thing you know, you've got like a like a headline story on the cover of the magazine. Like it's just, it all feeds. And so that's a really good point that you made. Um, and to that, to that side, I guess the thing I would say I was really glad about in those days was that I just jumped on it and did it really hard. Like I went yeah. in, I went all in because I had a deadline. Like I had a, a baby I was about to birth and I, I really went like, I doubled down on that and I'm glad I did. Um, another thing I'm really glad about, this is more on the personal side. I'm really glad that like specifics around my personal kids and my personal life were never the biggest focus of my writing. It really allowed me to weather, um, hard times in my life or like awkward times in my kids' lives without 
having to figure out, well, now what am I, am I going to do? Like they were the stars of my writing. Now, yeah. how do I, I really always made it more about me and my experience with my kids. It's kind of like this little cast and crew in the background. And I was able to like take the spotlight spotlight off of specific kids when it made sense to do that. And I think a lot of um, bloggers and sometimes people who are like, who have their social accounts, very kid oriented, have a harder time doing that because the kids become the star. And then what do you do when they're older and they want to be more private or you just don't want to talk about something anymore? It's harder to do. Um, I'm also really glad about the way I chose to write or not write about my divorce. Uh, You know, it's not a hundred percent like random or coincidental that I really backed off of personal writing while I was going through that divorce, both in the, like the year leading up to it and the years after. And, um, I did take a few marriage pieces down off of my blog, Sarah, with your help, I think after divorcing, but not that many, there was like three. And I had not like, I didn't, I hadn't fallen into that trap of like over hyping my life or over hyping Mm. the things, the people in my life. And I think that can be a trap because then it makes you stuck. Like, how do you say all of what I wrote was true, but now it's a different truth or now that truth is changing without feeling like a fraud. And I, you know, the few pieces I had up there that made me cringe, I took down, but there was like, it wasn't that many and they weren't even that cringy. I just didn't want them being the thing people would find first if they like Googled me or something. So, um, so those are all things I think I accidentally did right. I don't think it was an intentional choice. It's just what happened. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to backtrack too much. I'm also really glad I didn't feel like I owed it to anyone to talk, to write about my divorce or what was happening. Like, I didn't feel like I owed an audience any explanation of why I divorced or what my divorce looked like. It was like, that was mine. It was private. And I had set that boundary mm-hmm. just accidentally. Um, and I don't think I think sometimes people fall accidentally into the other way of doing things, yes, which is the- to like, the vulnerable sharing. Yeah. Yes. And then they feel like they owe it to the mm-hmm. people who read them to tell them everything that's happening. And I just didn't wind up in that trap. And I'm really glad if I was thinking of something, I feel like I sort of regret it's the word isn't even regret. It's almost like I see the writerly path that I took and it was the one where it was both personal, but also professional and money generating because that was the reality of my life. And I can see like, if I look at this, like if I step back, I can see a different writerly Megan path that I may have taken where I would have gone more all in on memoir, say, or like essay writing to the exclusion of the worrying about where I was getting published or how much money I was going to get for a piece. Mm-hmm. And maybe that would have opened some doors that were closed because you can't open every door all at once, right? Like you can't open all of the doors, but, but it's not really a regret. It's just looking and saying, okay, there might've been another another path that if I'd been in a different position, I would have gone down. And what, what would that maybe have looked like? And I think there's probably a lot of people listening who do have the ability to go in that, down that path, like who have the ability to write just what they want to write. And that's fantastic. And there's like a little part of me that's really envious of that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's so easy to have writer envy because someone had, um, got published in big publications or they got a big paycheck or they got a book deal but with everything you say yes to, you're saying no to something else. And so for me, I did things that, you know, professionally moved me along, but sometimes personally weren't as fulfilling. And it's just interesting to think about how differently that could have looked. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I think every time we ever talk about creative pursuits, side hustles, work life, 
uh, on this show, I, I never want to gloss over just the reality that everyone has different income needs and we make choices about creativity or side hustles or hobbies or whatever we're even calling this, not from an e- equal playing field. And sometimes I don't ever want people to think we're glossing over that. Um, it's, we don't, it's maybe not what we choose to spend half an hour talking about, but we absolutely know that every family has different income realities and that when we're talking about writing professionally, that can look like everything from a $50 paycheck is just fine and makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside to being pregnant with your third kid and needing to like have an income that serves your family. And I don't know, this isn't a like a judgment call either way. I just want it to be clear that we we understand that those are not apples to apples comparisons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how writing works in our lives right now. Like, are you writing? And if so, how often? And what are you writing right now? I still don't write as much as I'd like. It has been really hard for me after taking essentially a six-year hiatus from purposeful, intentional writing. I did have like a job as a marketing writer for a while. And there's always, like we've said, there's there's parts of writing in everything we do. But like, I haven't made a practice of sitting down and writing personal stuff for quite some time. Um, besides the every other month essay I write for our newsletter, which mm-hmm. scratches that itch, but doesn't get me quite enough in the routine. So I'm still trying to get back there. I will say I've made big strides in the past year or two. I'm trying to be take the pressure off and recognize all of these different things I do as writing, um, including, you know, writing a little essay for Instagram or um, doing really like a really good job on a, like an outline for a show, like an an episode that we're putting together or writing a script or doing sales writing. All of those things count. We're constantly doing all those things, both you and I. And I think for what's next for me is going to be really leaning in on the phase of life I'm in now, getting really curious about it. I think that's why my initial writing was so successful is I was so curious about being a mom. I was so curious about what was happening in my body when I was pregnant and breastfeeding. I was so curious about what was happening in my kids' little bodies and brains, like the relationships that we had. I was so curious that it became, it really got you in that flow, that zone. And I lost that for a little while and I wasn't sure what to get curious about next. And I think that's going to be the thing that's going to bring me really back to that writerly life. And I'm just, I'm still kind of, floundering around a little bit, but getting there. How about you? I love that. First of all, I love that framing about curiosity. I mean, this is a real short answer for me. If you as a listener are, if you are like a fan of the mom hour and you follow us on social, get our newsletter, are in our Facebook group and listen to the podcast, you are already seeing all of the writing I am currently doing. And that's, (laughs) that's neither bad nor good. But like you said, Megan, we write so much for this community in different ways. Um, I am not currently writing anything else that I can think of. Like, I'm even trying to think, right. like, even if I expand that to like, did I write a nice email? Did I write our Christmas card? <laughs> like, no, like right. this is this is my both my my job, my full time job and my creative outlet all in one. And I am incredibly fortunate to say that. So all of the writing I'm doing at this season of my life is for the mom hour in those different ways. And that is OK. Um, yeah. But that brings me to my next question, which is. Is there a type of writing that like we've never done and always wanted to try or that maybe we haven't done for years and years want to get back to or something that you used to do that you have no interest in now? And I can start. um, I think we're both going to talk about poetry, but I wrote a lot of poetry until I was about 21. And like I said, I was at one point enrolled in like a creative writing major for poetry, like I was going to be a poet. And I don't I think if I ever return to poetry, it'll be a long time. 
from now. Um, in terms of writing, I have always wanted to try. I would say returning to humor writing in some capacity because I just dabbled in it in motherhood. And then I got so self-conscious and like the humor world is so different now. It's all like TikTok and there's so many funny, like you and I send each other funny things all the time. And I have such a deep appreciation for humor. I think there's, I would like to try to write humor in the way that like Wendy Aarons writes humor, like mm-hmm. it, like McSweeney's, like that really deeply ironic and smart humor writing someday, but it might be like when I'm 65. So that's, for yeah. Me. Well, I love that you brought up that humor writing because Wendy Aarons was the person that came to my mind too. Yeah. When I was thinking about the, the fact that like the way you found me was that I was like listed in a funny Twitter moms. Yeah. Like funniest moms on Twitter. But I took such a detour away from that kind of writing because the, it was so easy for me to just, you know, write like 120 character funny little quip and move away from it. Like, and then just forget about it. You know what I mean? But like the pressure of being a humor writer was more than I could handle. Like being a true humor writer where you're placing humor and being funny on your blog or whatever all the time. I just couldn't do it. Like it was, and I think I'm a really funny person. It just wasn't, it just, it hasn't been for me. Maybe when I'm like you said, 65 and I just don't care anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Or like maybe when I can focus just on that and not worry about anything else I am trying to do for any other purpose, like that might work. But like for now, it's not for me. Um, poetry drawn to it feels so awkward doing it. I love to read a good poet, but like the idea of releasing or publishing a poet, like a poetry collection gives me hives. And maybe I would get over that again. Maybe if I was like in it and immersed in it and got some confidence from some external, you know, validation, maybe I'd feel differently. So, um, I'm not going to, that's on my, not now, but I'm not going to say never, but probably never list. Um, fiction. I have dabbled in fiction for years, but I really have a hard time sustaining interest. Maybe again, maybe one day when I can lock myself in a garret for three months (laughs) and just work on a story or work on a novel, it'll be different. But I've had a really hard time sustaining that. Like it just hasn't worked with my life. One thing I think I'd actually be really good at is screenwriting or playwriting. Um, I'm really good at writing dialogue. I have almost no knowledge of the craft. I don't understand how writing a play or a screen, like a screenplay really works. And that would require a lot of learning that right now I'm just not in the place to be able to do, but it is something I'd like to dabble in, in the future. Yeah. And you are a really, really good storyteller and I consume so much good screen based media that I feel like I've, I've studied the craft only because I watch so much television. Um, and I think you are, you are a really, really good conceptual storyteller. And I think all of the work you've done for the last 20 years would put you in a position that if you studied that craft, you could probably do it really well. Um, just because I think there's a, there's a storytelling element to being a playwright or a screenwriter that's so different. It's not just words because you're also conceiving of how the story will be told visually in a way, even right. if you don't have to be the one to execute the visuals, you have to be able to see it. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. And timing and like, like comedic yeah. timing and things like that, like all that makes it like it, it's, it's all goes into it. And I feel like I really like to learn before I even try it, which is unusual for me. Usually I just dive in. But yeah. that's something where I feel like I want to learn how it works before I really get into it. Yep. Well, Megan, if listeners have made it this far and don't consider themselves a writer, but maybe are interested in building another creative practice, let's finish by talking about like creative discipline almost. And this doesn't have to just apply 
to writing. But if you are wanting to dive into something creative, what works best for you? And I'm thinking of like, there are things like a 30 day challenge or being in an accountability group or having like a little mastermind group. Um, you can go to retreats or buy guided journals. And and this is true across creative disciplines because you could do all the same kind of stuff for photography or all the things. So what has worked yeah. for you in starting and maintaining and sustaining that creative practice? So I would say a dedicated space and like posture, honestly, like I talked about earlier, yeah. where I feel tapped into my creativity is super helpful. And it doesn't have to be the same space. It doesn't have to be a studio or like, you know, it just has to be the place where this is where I go when I feel like I want to think in this way. And this is how I sit when, and this is what yeah. I use. Like these are the tools and the props like that helps me get kind of in the mood. Like a um, hat. I want you to have a writing like, hat. Well, that would be fun, wouldn't it? But like certain <laughs> kinds of pens or like having my notebook that I like for like specific I- idea generating, like those kinds of things have always been helpful, like a visual and, um, kinesthetic reminder of that's what I'm here to do has always been really helpful for me. Um, I will say like workshops are fine and like that can be helpful, but like challenges and prompt journals and things like that have never really been my jam because I find that the deadlines imposed by them are a little too like, I don't, I'm only, no one will know if I don't actually do it. You know what I mean? Those external deadlines can be really helpful in helping me get a momentum going. And sometimes you kind of have to fake that. Like you have to make it up. Like someone else is counting on me for this, even if nobody is like, I have decided Wednesdays are the day I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to post on Instagram or whatever. And then it, it usually takes me several months to get in that groove. And I need to feel like it matters to somebody besides me. Cause otherwise Mm -hmm. I start to move things around a lot. So those are probably like some kind of external deadline that matters to someone besides me, even if I'm pretending it matters and it really Uh doesn't because no one notices. And then that dedicated um, tactile space. Yeah, I love that. I hadn't thought about the dedicated physical environment, but I, um, you have my wheels turning now. I would agree about deadlines, although I think where our personalities are different is I actually really enjoy self-imposed challenges. And I, it's a really good way to get me started. And so I sometimes resist the ones that are put together by somebody else, or I won't even, like, I won't even sign up for or pitch something or like I, sometimes I won't opt into an external deadline because I want to devise the internal deadline that works for me. And that might look like I'm going to write every day for a month or on Mondays I do an essay on Instagram. We've used that a lot in our business. Like yeah. nobody on the outside is saying, okay, you're going to do an essay every other month for the newsletter. And we have this many blog posts and this. So I would say those kinds of systems, I would, I would call them systems and rituals are really helpful to me. On the total flip side, though, another thing that's really helpful to me is having the tools at my disposal to capture inspiration when it strikes. And when going back to those early motherhood years, when you talked about like the laptop and the and the tools and and gave the example of a text to type software or something, I think in the years where I had to be really efficient with my time, I was really good at writing down a few lines of inspiration and then going back to it later. I think I've gotten out of habit of that. And I think that is something that really is helpful to me because I am so systems oriented. It's almost like I also need the exact opposite, which is permission and tools that enable the immediate capture, because sometimes it just strikes when you're not expecting it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I think personality really plays into it. So Mm -hmm. what works for you may not work for someone else. 
I agree. And I do think that groups and communities when I've had them have been super helpful. It's a hard thing to force or find just like on a whim, but I think they can be helpful. Um, Well, speaking of things that could help you get on a writing track or get started with writing, our contributor Stacy has a blog post up right now at themomhour.com that we'll link to in the show notes. And she tells the story of how she was first inspired to start writing about motherhood. And then she's got some really great tips kind of all over the map. I feel like you could pick and choose the tips that work for you, um, but she shares what worked for her in getting started as a writer. So it's a great post and we will link to it in the show notes. And thanks to Stacey. And that really in part inspired us to talk about our writing histories on this episode. It did. And I really, I loved her tips and um, particularly what she had to say about time management, making time. Um, That's something we didn't even get into today because that's a whole nother, like that could be a whole episode on its own, how to make time for writing or a creative pursuit. But like, it truly is about making the time, like the time fairy is not going to come and just like grant you extra time in your day. That's not how it works. So definitely go check out her post. Well, we definitely want to make sure to let you all know about something really exciting we've got going on, and that is the Mom Hour Small Business Boutique. So the Small Business Boutique is a collection, a curated collection of small mom-owned businesses that we have collected over at themomhour.com slash shop. And that is a place where you can shop some different little boutiques that are also run by members of our community. And offer everything from um, teas to apparel to home decor. There are so many cool things going on there. And that is at the momhour.com slash shop. So definitely check out our small business boutique. Yes. And you've heard us talking about and sharing about on social, but we actually have a whole holiday headquarters page at the momhour.com slash holiday 21. Um, and you can link to the shop from there. You can also find older holiday themed episodes, blog posts. We've got like a Thanksgiving planning guide. We've got so much stuff right there all in one place at themomhour.com slash holiday 21. And we redesigned our website and our logo and our colors and it all looks so Go check it. There's so, so much to great. look at. So go check that out. And um, yeah, Megan, this was really fun. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We will be back on Tuesday with a noon episode, of course, because we never skip a Tuesday. But as we head into this holiday week, wishing everyone safe travels and a happy Thanksgiving. Talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits in self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.